This summer at one of our Sunday services, we had a missionary from Africa who was with us. And I would normally never do this, but the Holy Spirit was just present in a special way in that service. And our church had actually never met this missionary. We have many missionaries that we support all over the world, but this was a new one who just happened to be in the room that day. But I felt led to bring him on the stage. His name was Daniel. He was from Africa. And we prayed for him, and he prayed a prayer over our church. While he was on the stage, I felt a strong urge to take up an offering for Daniel. None of our people were prepared to give an offering. We weren't prepared to take up an offering. It was just a spontaneous thing. I didn't even have ushers ready with uh, the offering plates, none of that. I said, if you feel led today to give to Daniel, right now in this moment, I want you to get out what you want to give, and I want you to come and just lay it on the foot of the stage. And within a matter of just minutes, our church in just one service had given over $5,000 to a man they had never met. And it was just a spontaneous move of generosity in the spirit. Then just a few weeks later, uh, really just a couple of Sundays later, we had another missionary in our church. This time he was from Israel. And that morning we took up an offering and the people didn't come to church knowing that they would be asked to give an offering that day for anyone. But that day, our church gave seven, over $7,000 just a few weeks later to a different missionary. A few weeks ago, I learned about a group of people uh, in our church that had gotten together uh, with you know, some folks within the body, our congregation. This wasn't through me, it was just them. They got together because they had learned about another family in the church that was in need. They got on the phone, they started calling each other, and within just a few hours, people were able to come up with over $12,000 to help a family in our church that was in need. All of these recent offerings and givings, these are all just something that's happened recently. But I, I want you to know the history of our church, the history of the Crossing Church, is that we are a generous church. In fact, this is one of our core values. We only have four core values, and this is one of the four. And it's this. We are a church that excels in generosity. And we have this statement that goes with it. We believe that God is radically generous. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. So we too are radically generous. We give our time, our abilities, our financial resources for the good of the body of Christ and the advancement of the kingdom of God around the world. Our prayer is that generosity would take root in the heart of every member of the crossing. So I want to say this today. If you've joined yourself to this body of believers, you need to know that you have joined yourself to a culture that is a generous culture. And when we talk about core values, when we talk about culture, what does that actually mean? Culture simply means this. What is normal here? What is normal here. And I want to tell you what is normal at the crossing is that the crossing is a generous church. Okay, so that means you have surrounded yourself. If you're, you know, we have a lot of new people at our church, but you need to know this about us, that you've joined a culture of generosity. And if you are not a generous person, well, then you're not going to fit in our culture. You're not going to fit in here. Generosity is a hallmark of who we are. And that's why we pray it takes root in your heart. I pray you get affected by that generosity. I pray that generosity is contagious 
and you realize the joy of generous giving. But the thing is, generosity is not just a hallmark of the crossing church. It's a hallmark of the kingdom of God. It's a hallmark of following Jesus. Now, we've been in this series called Open Doors, and we've been looking at the book of Acts and the first church. And we've been asking ourselves, what kind of people or what kind of person does God open doors for? And without a doubt, when you look at the book of Acts and you look at the early church, I can say this today, that God opens doors for people who are generous. The early church was so, so generous. And I can tell you, God opens doors for people who are generous. In fact, maybe there's a door that you've been wanting to open. Maybe there's a door that you've been expecting God to open, but maybe God's gonna open that door on the other side of a generous uh, seed that you sow. Maybe God is gonna open the door. And, and that this thought just came to me, you know, uh, when I was leaving, when I was moving from Baton Rouge to Chattanooga, we were, we were, we had lived in smaller houses and smaller apartments while we were there. And I had had given to me a really nice um, Martin guitar. I'm talking a very nice Martin guitar, like worth several thousand dollars. Someone blessed me with it and gave it to me. And when I was leaving Baton Rouge, uh, I felt led to give that guitar to a young worship leader that would be taking my spot at the campus I was at. And uh, I was like, man, no, I am not giving this guitar. To, uh, no, I mean, this, was, this is a nice guitar, I want it, but I felt led in my heart to give it. And so finally I was like, okay, Lord, I'm gonna give it. And I sowed that guitar. It was a seed that I sowed. It was a gift I sowed into a young worship leader. And you know what a desire of my heart has always been for my kids to learn piano, and I want them to learn on a real piano. I didn't have room for one where we live, but I wanted them to learn on a real piano. And you know what's interesting? I sowed that seed of a guitar into that young worship leader. Well, if you come to my house today, you know what you're gonna see? A beautiful baby grand piano that my kids are learning to play right now. And you know what? I 100% believe that my ability to get that baby grand piano was all wrapped up in the seed that I sowed into Nick's life with that guitar. There is, there is an open door on the other end of a seed that you sow. I say it like this. If, you, if there, there's a seed that you need to sow, if you want God to open the dough. All right, that's what I did right there. Sow the seed, let God open the door. And as we look at the early church, we will see in Acts, man, contagious generosity broke out in this church. Acts 2.45 says, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all who had any need. Acts 4.34, there was not a needy person among them for as many were owners or land or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what they sold and they laid it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed as each and any had need. So we see that in the early church, there was such a contagious spirit flowing in the church of generosity that every single need in the church was met. I mean, this is incredible. The giving is not forced. The giving is not mandated. It all came from hearts that overflowed with generosity. And in fact, 
generosity. Go and research revivals throughout history. Yes, people get saved. Yes, God moves. Yes, revivals happen. But in every revival, what you're gonna see, every major move of God also has a revival in tithes and offerings. Go study it. God moves and it touches people's hearts and then people start giving and it furthers the move of God. You can go back in the Old Testament and you will see every time revival or renewal breaks out in the Old Testament, tithes and offerings start being given again. In Exodus 35, the Lord moves on the hearts of the Israelites and they bring their contributions to Moses to construct the tabernacle. And the people were so generous, Moses said, enough, stop with the giving. We have all that we need. In 1 Chronicles 29, David takes up a free will offering to build the temple. And the people filled the storehouses with uh, their offerings from their own hearts. And the Bible says David rejoices greatly at the generosity of the people. In, first, in 2 Chronicles 24, Joash is king. The leader before him had robbed the house of God of all its things, took all the utensils, all the golden instruments, and used them to build idols uh, and to worship other gods. But Joash restores the temple, takes up an offering to, to restore the things in the temple. Second Chronicles 29, Hezekiah restores the house of the Lord with the gifts of, that the people bring. Second Chronicles 34, Josiah rebuilds and, re, and restores the house of the Lord. So what you see in the Old Testament is you see this cycle where when uh, Israel will quit serving the Lord and the house of God will go in disrepair because they're not tending to it like they're supposed to. And then a revival will break out. A renewal will break out in the people's hearts. And every single renewal is accompanied with the, the regeneration or revival of tithes and offerings. Malachi 3. Malachi 3, it tells that there is a future revival and restoration that is coming. Malachi 3 is a prophecy. And he's saying there's going to be a revival, a returning to the Lord. And a big part of that returning to the Lord is a returning to tithes and offerings. And I actually want to read this together because I want to show you. And we'll talk more about this in, in, in a minute. But a lot of people think tithing is like this old covenant thing. But I want to show you that Malachi, Malachi is not talking about an old covenant situation. Malachi is talking about a future revival that's going to, and I'll, I'll show it to you. I'll prove it to you right here. Malachi 3, behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. Who is that? And the Lord, it, who is the messenger that prepares the way? Who is that? That's John the Baptist, right? We know that. Malachi is talking about John the Baptist. He is prophesying right now. And it says, and the Lord whom you will seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings in the righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old in the former years. Stop. This is a prophecy. This isn't Malachi looking back. By the way, Malachi is the last Bible in the Old Testament. We're at the end of the Old Testament, and Malachi is looking forward. He's not looking back to Moses. He's looking forward. He's talking about John the Baptist. He's talking about Jesus, and he's talking about a future offering that is coming. Let's keep reading. 
He says, for I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Israel, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers, you've turned aside from my statues and not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how will we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and your contributions, in your tithes and offerings. You are, he says, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour out a blessing until there is no more need. Are you kidding me? Open doors. We've been talking about it right here. God says, bring the tithe. Bring all of it into my storehouse and see what I would put me to the test on. You can test me. Do you know tithe means 10th? Do you know 10 is the number of testing in the Bible? The children of Israel are in the promise, are they in the promised land for 10 days spying out the land? That was a test to see what was in their hearts. There are 10 commandments. It's a test to see whether you will serve God or not. Uh, when uh, the, the Bible says in Revelation, you are undergoing a test for 10 days, stay faithful, and I will let you reign for a thousand years. 10 is the number of testing in the Bible. And a tenth is a tithe. God is saying, come on, bring the tithe. This is a test to see if you'll trust me with your money and you're testing me. Go ahead. This is the only thing God ever says in the Bible we can test him on. Test me on this. See if I won't pour out the windows of heaven and give you more than you need. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord. Then all the nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord. Malachi 3 is a prophecy. He's talking about John the Baptist. He's talking about Jesus. He's talking about a coming revival when people will return to the Lord. And part of the coming revival is the, is the renewal of tithes and offerings and there will be no need. That is exactly what happens in the book of Acts. John has come. Jesus has come. There's a revival that happens. There is no need in the church because a generosity broke out within the people. So you're saying, Chad, what? come on, man. Why do we need to talk about money? Why do we got to talk about money? You know, all the things we talk about in church, why are we talking about money? And, and here's why, because money is the clearest indicator of where your heart is. Money is, well, what, how can I say that? Because there was a guy who once said this, where your treasure is, there your heart is. You know who said that? Jesus said that. The, one of the best measuring sticks of faith, one of the most important measuring sticks of faith is what you do with your money. Are you for real in your relationship with God? It means he hasn't just touched your heart. It means he's touched your wallet. Oh, Pastor Chad, get out of my business. Well, I'm gonna be honest. I don't wanna be in your business. I genuinely don't want to be in your, I don't wanna know your business. Sometimes people tell me stuff. I'm like, I did not wanna know that. Take that to Jesus. Like, I don't wanna be in your business, but this is a discipleship issue. If you're following Jesus, really following him, 
If you're sold out to him, at some point in your discipleship journey, the Holy Spirit is going to have something to say about what you do with your money. He is. You can't just, the people think that they can follow Jesus, and there's just some areas that Jesus can't talk to you. Oh, Jesus, you can't talk to me about my sexuality. You can't talk to me about my sex life, what I do there. Jesus, you can't talk to me about my money, what I do there. Then you're not really following Jesus because he has a lot to say about things that we don't want to hear about. He has a lot to say about sex. He has a lot to say about hell. He has a lot to say about money. Things we don't want to talk about, but Jesus sure does like to talk about it. Why? Because if you're really following him, he wants your whole life. And man, those areas are huge in our life. Howard Dayton says this, Jesus taught much about money. 16 of the 38 parables were concerned with how to handle money and possessions. In the Gospels, an amazing one out of 10 verses, 288 in all, deal directly with the subject of money. The Bible offers 500 verses on prayer, less than 500 on faith, but more than 2,000 on money and possessions. Some people, some scholars have suggested that there's more than 8,000 promises in the scriptures. God is a promise keeper, 8,000. But of the 8,000, you want to know what most of those are about? Your money, finances. Why does God talk so much about money? Why does God make so many promises and things about money? Why does Jesus talk so much about money? Because he knows what's in our hearts. He knows what's in Chad's heart. He knows that I'm selfish, I'm greedy, I'm stingy. He knows this about me. But God is generous. Jesus is generous. And if I'm going to become like him, if I'm going to follow him, then I too have to learn how to become generous. You see, God wants to teach me. He, God wants to break the poverty or scarcity mindset off of me. And God wants to show me that if I have him, I have all that I need. God wants to show me that he'll provide for me. He'll take care for care of me. He wants to show me he is generous so I can be generous. I said there's 8,000 promises. I just want to give you nine really quick. I just nine, pro a promise is something you can hang on to from God. This is a yes and amen. This is a promise. So you can write these down. They'll be on the screen. Like these are, this is good news right here. You know, I'm talking about being generous and there is a promise that comes with being generous. I want to give you nine full disclosure. Um, I got these from Rick Warren because he's the goat. He's the best. And they were so good. I was like, I want to share this with the Crossing family. So thank you, Pastor Rick. Love you. Hope you're enjoying retirement. God, nine rewards God promises to me if I learn to be generous with money. Real quick. Number one, God promises good things will happen to me. Hey, that's a good promise. Good things will happen to me. Psalm 112.5 says, good will come to him who is generous. Proverbs 22.9 says, generous people will be blessed. Have you ever seen somebody that it's just like God's always working stuff out in their life? That like even when they're up against the wall or up against the crisis, they always come in with the testimony of how God came through. Let me tell you something about that person. I can guarantee they're a generous person. I can tell you that 
they're probably a giver because I've seen, too, I've seen too much of it. I've seen too many people over the years. They are generous and it's like they are just a target for the favor of God. It's just like the goodness of God finds them everywhere they go. Why? Well, because it's a promise in the scriptures. Good things will happen when you become a generous person. Number two, God promises my children will be blessed when I give. Psalm 37, 26 says, the godly are always generous and their children will be blessed. This is a promise. I have someone very close in my life that every year, at the end of the year, they're a big tither, they're a big giver, all of the above, but every year at the end of the year, they give a special offering and the whole reason they give it They give a big offering, they dedicate it to the Lord, and they say, God, I'm giving this to you today for the sake of my children. Put your hand of blessing on my kids. And let me tell you, I have seen it with my own eyes. The blessing of God is on that family. It's on those children. God is moving in them. If you're a giver, if you're a tither, if you give offerings, hold on to this promise. Maybe you have a kid that's away from the Lord right now. This is a promise you can take to God and say, God, I am a giver, and your word says that my children will be blessed. And so I'm hanging on to this promise. You know, it's okay to do that. Take a promise of God, bring it to him and say, God, this is what your word promised. And I'm hanging on to this promise because I know you're good for this promise. Let that build your faith today. Number three, God promises he will bless my work and my business. Proverbs 3, 9 says, honor the Lord by giving him the first part of all your income. That's your tithe. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will overflow with the finest wine. Proverbs eleven twenty five 25 says, a generous man will prosper and he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. I've seen this over the years because I know there's, there's businessmen in our church. They not only pay their tithes personally, but we have several businessmen within our church that their business itself tithes. They tithe on their business. And let me tell you, I've watched it. I've seen it over the years. God immensely has blessed their businesses. I'm talking immensely expanded and grown their businesses. Why? It's a promise. It's a biblical principle. Number four, God promises I will be happier. Think about that. Acts 20, 35. Remember the words of our Lord Jesus who said, there is more happiness in giving than in receiving. You know what? Maybe why America is so miserable, maybe why we're so miserable is because we're entitled. We got a bunch of entitled people who think everything in the world is owed to them and they want to give nothing. Boy, if we would just follow the promises of God and learn to be givers rather than those who are just receivers, there would be a blessing, I believe, even on our mental health. Happiness is promised for those who give. Number five, God promises my influence will increase. The world of the generous gets larger and larger, but the world of a stingy gets smaller and smaller. Proverbs eleven twenty four. I've seen this as a pastor. I've seen people whose world, people who are stingy, and and as they get older, the world comes. They they start slowly turning in on themselves more and more and more. And at the end of their life, man, they're they're mean, <laughs> and they're. But I've also seen, on the other hand, those who have been givers their whole life. And as they age and as they come to the end of the life, they're surrounded by people whom they have loved and whom they have given to. And man, it is a, they, they, they are leaving in such a blessed state. Your world gets bigger 
Your, your mindset gets bigger the more you give, but the more stingy you are, your world gets smaller and smaller and smaller. All right, number six, <clears throat> God promises I will end up with more than what I gave. Now, how about that? Luke 6, 38, this is Jesus. He says, give, and it will be given back to you. Full measure, what you receive you, uh, will need to be pressed down, shake it together, but it will still run over and be poured out into your lap. The way you give to others is the way God will give to you. Proverbs eleven twenty four says, some people give generously and end up with a more, while others don't give what they should and end up poor. Proverbs nineteen seventeen, being generous to the poor is like lending to the Lord. God will pay you back for what you have done. Now listen, I am not preaching today, give so you can get more. That's a prosperity gospel thing. And look, we're not prosperity gospel people, but we are just word people. And we don't give to get. Actually, the people that I know are the most generous and God keeps blessing them. They're not giving so they can amass more. They're giving, they're giving so God will give them more so that they can give more. Christianity is not by, your, following Jesus is not about raising your standard of living. It's about raising your standard of giving. I know people that live off of 40% of their income and give away 60%. And they're so happy about it. They love to do it. And you know what? God just keeps pouring it on them. Why? Because number one, you'll never outgive him. And number two, God can trust you, man. He can trust you and God will give you more because you've been faithful with the little. And, and, they're, and it's like they're just a funnel. I've seen it over and over again in people's lives. I'm telling you, this is, I'm, this is not gimmicks. I'm not preaching gimmicks to you today. I'm telling you what I've seen. I'm telling you it's the kingdom of God. We have got to learn to grow in generosity. Number seven, God meets promise. God promises to meet all of my needs. Paul says in Philippians 4.17, I want you to have the good things that come from giving. My God will use his wonderful riches in Christ to give you everything you need. Proverbs 28, 27, he who gives to the poor will lack nothing, but he who closes his eyes to their needs will receive curses. Proverbs 28, 27. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 through 8, you should give as you have decided in your heart to give, never reluctantly or under pressure, because God loves the person who gives cheerfully. Then God will generously provide for you so that in all things, at all times, you have all that you need and plenty left over to give more to every good work. That speaks for itself. Number eight, God promises he will multiply what I give him. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Just as God gives seed to farmers and bread for food, God gives you a supply of seed and then he makes it grow so that a great harvest from your generosity and God will make you rich enough to be generous at all times. Ecclesiastes 11.1 1 says, be generous and one day you'll be rewarded. Think about that for a moment. He's talking about farming, he's talking about seeds. Whenever you plant a seed in the ground, it never just comes back as, you don't get one seed back. Think about it, you plant a kernel of, corn in the ground. When the corn pops up, look how many more seeds you have. It's a principle. Whatever you sow, you reap. Number nine, God promises my giving is stored up in heaven. This is the last one. Use your money to do good 
and give generously, always being ready to share with what others God has given you. By doing this, you will be storing up real treasure for yourself. It is the only safe environment for eternity. That's 1 Timothy 6, 18. Stop about, stop for a second. You know what a lot of people don't realize? They want all their treasure here on the earth. But, you, but what they don't realize is that storing up treasure here on earth is useless and pointless. Why? Because this is a temporary home and you're gonna be living in heaven for eternity. Everyone talks about the place of heaven. They, they talk about where they're going for eternity, but not a lot of people think about how they will be spending eternity. Not everybody, okay, uh, this is a whole message in itself, but heaven will not be the experience, will not be the same experience for every person. Do you realize there's level of rewards in heaven? There are levels of, yeah, every, if you're saved in Christ, praise God, you're gonna make it. But then there's another judgment. There's the judgment seat of Christ that all believers will go through. And, and you will get rewarded based on some things. And one of those things is how you gave. So when you give, you're not losing that. You're actually storing it in a place that you will have for all of eternity. Your, our eternities will not be the same. We'll be surprised when we get there. So those are nine promises. Those are nine blessings, man. Promises from God about people who have generous hearts. So maybe you're asking, okay, where do I start? I wanna become a generous person. Where do I start? I believe I'm gonna give you your starting spot. This is where I believe it all starts. I wanna go back to Malachi. I think it all starts with the tithe. What is the tithe? The tithe is 10%. I believe this is the starting point for Christian giving. It's a biblical principle that goes all the way back to Genesis, okay? So, oh, you know, say, oh, here we go, pastor, talking about paying your tithes again. Everybody got to pay them tithes at the church, you know? And I listen, I know churches, if there's been some abuse, there's been some misuse, but you know what? Pastors are going to have to stand before God, and they will give an account and be judged for what they do, all right? So you leave that up to God, and let God be the judge. But you better do what you're called to do. You better do what God told you to do. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. I'm telling you, we start with the tithe. And trust me, people think that all the pastors in the world, we just all got in a secret room one day and we just decided, okay, here's what we're gonna do. We got this big scheme. We're gonna get everybody to give 10% of their income to us. And, and that look, that's tithing. We, there's no secret group. There's no secret plan. There's no conspiracy. Tithing began in the mind of God, not in my mind. This wasn't my idea. If it was my idea, I wouldn't ask for 10. I, if it's my idea, I'm going to start asking for 20% if it was my idea, you know. That wasn't my idea. This was God's idea. And it goes all the way back to the book of Genesis. It goes all the way back. And let me tell you why we tithe. There are several reasons why we tithe, but I just want to give you one today. And this is really important. Tithing enables us to acknowledge that God is the rightful owner of all that we have. I'm gonna say that again. Tithing enables us to acknowledge that God is the rightful owner of all that we have. If you go back to the book of Genesis, the story of Jacob, God opens a door in heaven 
for Jacob, right? Jacob's running for God, running from God. He's in the wilderness. Jacob has a dream. He has a vision of the heavens open and a ladder comes down. And at the top of the ladder, angels are going up and down. At the top of the ladder is God himself. Jacob in that moment decides, you will be my God and I will serve you. And look at what Jacob does in Genesis 28, 21 through 22 when this happens. It says, he is saying, the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And he's speaking to God. He says, and all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. Jacob's words are really important. All that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. Jacob has a realization here. All that I have comes from God and it's not mine. I'm just a steward of it. This is so important. This is why tithing is important. It helps us to realize when you tithe, when you pay your tithes, when you give that 10%, actually what you're doing is you are telling God, all that I have is not mine. It's actually yours. And I'm just a steward of it. All that you've given me, my house, my car, my children, my job, my money, everything that I have from God, he has given it to me. I don't own it. I'm just managing it. I'm just a steward of it. I will have to give it all up one day, and then I will be judged according to how I stewarded it. And the tithe is the thing that opens our eyes. It's the acknowledgement. Something supernatural happens when we give our tithe to God. When we give that tenth to God, what it does is it actually sanctifies and makes holy the other 90%. When you tithe, when you give that 10%, it puts a blessing on the other 90%. And you say, oh, pastor, you're talking about tithing. Come on, isn't that old covenant? Hadn't that ceased? Well, let me ask you a question. Everybody that wants to say tithing is in the old covenant, therefore we don't have to do any. Can someone show me the scripture? If you have it in your Bible, will you please email me? Show me where it says, Jesus died on the cross. Moses is now, you know, we don't really have to follow Moses anymore. Therefore, we no longer tithe. Show me that scripture. It's not in there. Most people that are making the argument that tithes are not necessary are making that an argument from silence. It's an argument from silence. It's actually not in the text. And actually, Everyone who makes the argument that tithing is an old covenant principle, we don't have to do it anymore. Most of the people that are making that argument are making it as a way so they can give less. I've never heard anyone make that argument to, as an argument to say, you know, we should probably give more than 10%. Because look, isn't, okay, let's say it is an old covenant thing. Let's say it is an Old Testament thing. Well, Paul says that the glory of the new covenant is greater than the glory of the old covenant. So if anything, the new covenant doesn't mean we should give less. It actually means we should probably give more, all right? So that argument is really not a solid argument. It's just a misconception that the tithe has been abolished because it originated in the Mosaic law. That's a misunderstanding of the law. By the way, Jesus didn't come to abolish the law, but he came to fulfill the law. But the principle of the tithe started hundreds and hundreds of years before the Mosaic law. Abraham tithed. Go back and read Genesis. He tithes, he gives a tenth to a mysterious figure named 
Melchizedek. Now, I don't have time to get all into the Melchizedek stuff, but Melchizedek shows up in Genesis, shows up again in Psalms, and then he shows up again in the New Testament, by the way, in the book of Hebrews, (laughs) okay? So Abraham gives a tenth of all that he has to this mysterious figure named Melchizedek. Well, in the book of Hebrews, the titles given to Melchizedek are this, king of righteousness, king of peace, one without beginning of days, without father or mother, one without end of life, one like the son of God. Let me tell you who Melchizedek was. Melchizedek was a type and shadow of Christ. Go back and read your Bible. Go back and read Hebrews about Melchizedek. So what does this tell me? Tithing from the beginning, the very first time it happens. It's not in the law. It's Abraham. Tithing is attributed to Christ and to faith, not the law. You could argue that tithing started with Christ. It doesn't start with Moses. Both Abraham and Jacob tithe, and they came way before Moses. Again, Malachi prophesies the restoration of the tithe at the coming Messiah. This is a kingdom principle. It's something we all must learn. And when we tithe, I'm telling you, one of the things that the tithe will help us do, the tithe will help us break the poverty mindset or the poverty spirit that has entered into the human race. You say, Chad, what am I, what are you talking about? Go back to Adam and Eve. Go back to the very beginning. You know what's, this is what the poverty mindset says. The poverty mindset says, no matter how much I have, I actually never have enough. You can be rich and have a poverty, listen to me, you can be rich and have a poverty mindset. How do you know if someone has a poverty mindset? Because they're not generous and they're stingy. There are millionaires, billionaires with a poverty mindset because they have an appetite for more, 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 and they're not giving, giving, giving. So you can be rich, you can be poor, but I'm telling you, a poverty mindset is a real thing. And Eve had the poverty mindset. Oh my gosh, look at Eve. God told Eve, Adam and Eve, look at all the trees of the garden, all of them. Oh, look, there's how many? There's probably hundreds. There's probably thousands that Adam and Eve had. But there was one There was just one she wasn't allowed to have. And what did she do? What did Adam do? They had to have the one. All they could focus was on the one thing they didn't have. Instead of all, this is a poverty mindset. It always focuses on the one thing you don't have rather than realizing the abundance all around you that God has provided for you. That is a poverty mindset. And I'm telling you, we struggle with it in America. That's why we live in so much debt. That's why we have maxed out credit cards because we can't tell ourselves no because we think happiness is gonna come from that one thing we don't have yet. And so we just keep spending and spending and spending and amassing. What is that? That is a poverty mindset. How do we break that in our life? I'm telling you, it starts with the tithe. As I was studying this, God was even working on me about a scarcity or a poverty mindset. Listen to what Stanley Harawas says. He says, abundance, not scarcity, is the mark of God's care for creation. But our desire to live without fear cannot help but create a world of such fear constituted by the assumption that there is never enough. Such a world cannot help but be a world of injustice and violence because it is assumed that under conditions of scarcity, our only chance for survival is to have more. 
I'm not teaching you today to give so you can get more. That's a scarcity mindset. I am teaching you today that we've got to break out of a poverty mindset and we got to come to the conclusion that the Apostle Paul came to while in a prison, while having nothing, he was able to say, my God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory. Paul never once thought of himself as a poor person. Paul never once thought, I'm poor. Oh, poor me, I'm just poor. No, Paul never thought he was poor. Even when Paul had nothing, he never thought of himself as poor. This is important. When Paul didn't have much, you know what the, you know what the abundance mindset says? You know what the kingdom mindset says? When I don't have much of anything, you know what it says? Oh, man. Look at this opportunity. God's gonna do a miracle. God's gonna break through. I don't know how, but God is a God of abundance and somehow God's gonna supply all of my needs in this situation. You see, being a giver doesn't mean you always have just a tremendous and storehouses of wealth. That's not what it means. It means you always have a mindset to know that God is gonna provide for you, that God will make a way. He's done it over and over again and the promises are true in his word and he'll do it for me. And when I do have an abundance, I know it's not just for me to hoard, but it's for me to distribute and to be a blessing and to be the hands and feet of Jesus to other people. This is the kingdom mindset. Where does it start? I'm telling you, it starts with the tithe. It starts with the tithe. This isn't an Old Testament. This isn't a Moses thing. This is a biblical thing. There's power in it. I want you to learn the power of a generous heart and a generous spirit. Father, I pray for your people today. Let us be generous. Teach us the power of the tithe, Lord, that will unleash the blessing of God in our life and break the poverty mindset over us that says we don't have enough. God, if we have you, you are our shepherd. We have all that we need. Let us walk in that today. Lord, I ask this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Hey, I want to remind you next week is a very special week. We are opening up the new front doors of the church one service, 11 o'clock, but all the party, the festivities kick off at 1030. There's going to be a ribbon cutting, a special picture taken that we will have for years to come of everybody together in front of the new building. I'm really looking forward to it. We will see you soon.